There are certainly many translations of the Qur'an, but a question that many students of the Arabic language or Muslims all over the world will be asking themselves is, which one should I be using? So in this video I want to demonstrate some of the differences in some of these translations and why they translate certain things the same way. Obviously they are all translating from the same Qur'an. There's no variation in that Qur'an that they're translating from. So why do we end up with different translations? So in this video I want to walk you through five examples, or four examples really, but I'm going to let you know about a fifth example, fifth one as well. So that's what we'll be doing, we'll be going through in this video, we'll go through a good passage of Surah Al-Baqarah and I'll have all of these different Qur'an translations side by side so I can demonstrate to you why different translators choose to translate certain things in a certain way. And this is all from the perspective of someone who is an Arabic language teacher. I'm not a scholar of the Qur'an. I'm not a person who's produced a translation of the Qur'an. But I do appreciate when I read a translation of the Qur'an why a translator has chosen to translate it in this particular way. Of the five translators that we'll look at of the Qur'an, I've actually met two of them personally myself, and um, and I can comment upon their translations a little bit and why they may have chosen a particular methodology. But before I get into actually the side-by-side -side of those and putting them up on the screen for you to see them yourself, I want to speak really briefly to the notion of translation itself. Because sometimes somebody might come to me with something from the Qur'an and they say, why does the Qur'an say this? And they'll give it to me in English. And I'll say, look, you have to appreciate this is a translation of the Qur'an. And the answer may be, well, what, 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 what translation would you suggest in that case? And it's not really a matter of good or bad translation. It's a matter of that there is an issue in the concept of translation itself. Because a translator, any of you who work as professional translators, you know that translators are actually writers the skill of being able to produce that language yourself is a very, very important skill as a translator. So when you're reading a translation, you're not reading the original in much sense at all. You're really reading, you're reading the writing of the translator rather than of the original. I give this parable sometimes, I give this kind of um, analogy rather, of having somebody that you love be removed from you from when they're young children, maybe, maybe your children, for example, when they're very young, if they got lost or something and they were raised speaking another language other than yours, right? And you were reunited with them later and you don't have a common language. If you were to experience having a translator translate your entire relationship with them, you would really have very little ability to understand them on a deep level. You wouldn't understand their reference points. You wouldn't really understand their idioms. What you would really be building a relationship with with your translator through their interpretation of what they're actually saying, through their, their repackaging of their reference points is something that you will understand. So there's always a limitation of translation. And I, th I think something unique about our religion in Islam is that we actually have that original text that's agreed upon, and we can actually learn it in a language that is alive today. And our Prophet wasallam spoke a language which is alive today, and we can actually learn it. So, so inherently there are limitations in translation. Inherently they are only that. We can never take a translation of the Quran and say, this is the Qur'an. We, we can never do that. And anybody who does do that with their scripture or with any book, they're lying to themselves. So, let's have a look. I'll bring you through to Surah Al-Baqarah. Why have I chosen Surah Al-Baqarah? This was the first, um, other than Surah Al-Fatiha, this was the first Surah that I ever listened to. And when people from my culture who are, who are English, we pick up the Qur'an, instinctively we will read it from the front to the back. We obviously come from a literary culture with, with our scripture, with the Bible, etc., that is about stories that are very linear from front to back. Obviously, the Bible begins in Genesis in the beginning and it ends in the book of Revelations, which is the end of the end of days, right? So we're used to that structure. So people from our culture and English-speaking culture and our literary tradition, we're used to that. We're, we're used to that. Whereas, you know, from the Islamic perspective, books don't necessarily have to be engaged with like that. Books can be engaged with 
you know, obviously the way that many of our children memorize the Qur'an, they actually memorize it from the back, from shorter suwartha, from the back of the Qur'an. So this is kind of like a culturally appropriate way for us to present the Qur'an. And I actually think that there's a big wisdom in, in that Allah has sent the Qur'an down and formatted it in a manner that the way we approach the Qur'an gives us the lessons that we need specifically. Good, okay, so let's have a look at it. So the translations that we have, we're going to have uh, Dr. Mustafa Khattab's translation, the clear Qur'an. We're also going to have the Sahih International. We're also going to have um, Abdul Halim's uh, translation as well of the Qur'an. We're also going to have Pickthall's translation. And then I would like to give some reference as well to the majestic Qur'an as well. Um, yeah, because the majestic Qur'an is a, um, is, is a newer translation by Musharraf Hussain. I'm actually, I've, I've met him and I've also met Abdul Halim. Abdul Halim's translation was the first translation I ever owned, um, even before I became a Muslim. And then I had the pleasure of going to a university where he was a professor, and I managed to meet him and tell him that his translation was that the first translation of the Qur'an that I ever read, and it had a big, big impact on me. So, um... Obviously, I haven't met Pickthall personally. He died about 100 years before I was born, so that wasn't available to me. But let's have a look. So if we look at the very first ayah, after A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitanir Rajeem and Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, we have Alif Lamim. This is something which inherently is an example of something which does not exist in any literary tradition other than in the Qur'an, right? The the understanding of using these these disjointed letters or al huruf al muqatta'a these these cut, literally cut cut letters or disjointed letters alif lam mim the only thing that we can witness is that two of these translations care about you pronouncing it correctly one of them actually has like a, a line across the a to encourage you to say lam and the other one has like a squiggly Portuguese type one. But um, but the other two, they don't have a pro- they haven't prioritized that. They haven't prioritized you actually um, p- pronouncing it correctly and trying to provide some kind of transliteration. That's all we can really say on this first one. Next, okay, good. So so where Allah says, "Thalikalikitabu la raiba fih," this or this or that rather, the word that is thalika alikitabu the book la raiba. There is no doubt fihi in it. Who then a guidance lil for the the people who have taqwa the we might say the God conscious. So what is the difference in these translations? Let's have a look. So this is the book. Okay, whenever whenever authors put in um, exclamation points or any kind of grammar, they are they're not they're not being true to the grammatical structure of the Arabic because Arabic doesn't have these right. So so I mean, and this would be the case in translating from from any ancient language, be it Hebrew, be it be it Greek, be it whatever, right? Like. That there's, if you produce it in English, you're going to have to impose things on it that are not there in the original. So um, Mustafa, Dr. Mustafa Khattab says, this is the book. In fact, it's interesting how all of the translations say this, even though the Qur'an actually says that. That is the book rather than this is the book. But all the translations say this is the book. So two of them say this is the book. Right, the choice of the word book rather than scripture, as Abdul Halim uses and and Pickthall uses as well, is that it's just kind of more accessible to us. Like we don't really use the term scripture for for anything anymore. Like when was the last time a scripture was was written? You know, but obviously it's in reference to the Quran, um, so it makes sense that they would use a scripture or a book. But the term kitab would be more accessible for people are actually learning the Arabic language because we use the term kitab for all kinds of books, whereas we don't use the word scripture in English for all kinds of books. There is no doubt about it. Okay, so so Mustafa Khattab here. There is no doubt about it. That isn't that isn't that isn't the same as same as. There's no doubt in it. There's no doubt about it. But but it, it seems clear that that um, Dr. Mustafa Khattab is 
producing it in easy to access English, which is a translator's job, right? Like when you're actually a professional translator in a contemporary setting, your goal is to produce it as if it never was an Arabic text in the first place. That, that's your goal. Like the, the very, very best translators that I've ever worked with are people who get very little praise because their work looks like it was never in another language. It's a, it's a thankless task being an excellent translator. But um, so anyway, so, so I'm, I'm not saying that any of these translations aren't doing their job. It's just they're prioritizing certain things over others. Good. Okay. How about the next one? So about which there is no doubt. Again, it's a, it's a choice to articulate this in a way that reads well in English rather than is being true to the exact word for word in the Arabic. This is the scripture in which there is no doubt. So, I mean, that, that is la raiba fihi. That's maybe truer to la raiba fihi. Good. But the, but it's kind of subjective, isn't it? Whether it's a, you know, what is the best English is sort of subjective. Good, containing guidance for those who are mindful of God. So let's let's have a look actually at how they how they all translate the term mindful of God, the term muttaqin. There'll be a difference for those who are mindful of Allah, who are conscious of Allah, those who are mindful of God, and um, a guidance for those who ward off evil. Okay, that's really interesting. So yeah, so Mustafa Khattab says a guidance for those who are mindful of Allah. Abdul Halim says mindful of God. Abdul Halim is an Egyptian, by the way. Um, and in his translation, he prioritizes the word God over over using Allah, right? Why that is? Maybe because maybe because he's an Egyptian. Um, you know, he he feels he feels any any choice to not put as much in English as possible might be a failing based on him being Egyptian. Maybe that's it, but but I don't know. Okay, or maybe he sort of theologically has a has a preference in conveying to speakers of the English language that this is the same God that you knew about before when you learn about Jesus and Mary and stuff. That, that there's a preference on, on, on letting the audience know that, perhaps. But obviously the, the script says, doesn't say, it doesn't even use the word God, it just says al-muttaqin, right? The reason I'm focusing on this word particularly is because English in English we don't have a word al-muttaqin. We don't have that word. Um, but Pickthall's translation, you'll notice Pickthall's translation, if we can kind of label these in a way. Pickthall's translation is just Victorian. It's just archaic, right? Because that's the era that he's from, right? So this is the scripture. He uses more of a kind of um, archaic term, scripture, whereof there is no doubt. Like using whereof, it's not kind of contemporary English. A guidance unto those who ward off evil. A guidance unto, it's, we, we can see that this is all like, um, it's not contemporary. But it's interesting where Pickthall chooses to use that translation unto those who ward off evil, because the term taqwa, the term taqwa is really about protection of yourself from evil, from, from the term wiqaya, which is like a, a shield or something, um, is actually to do with protection. It's as if Pickthall understands some scholarship around what the people of language would, would explain with the word al-muttaqin, which is really interesting. Good, okay. And, um, and then just while we're here, unfortunately, Quran Explorer doesn't have the majestic Quran as one of the translation options. But um, I, will give, I will give a comment to it and how it differs from these. So the majestic Quran is obviously written within the past few years. And the absolute focus on it is making it read in a pleasant manner for English speakers. So, for example, rather than saying, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, in the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful, for example. Like that's probably how Pickthall would put it, probably use the word beneficent, you know, because it's, it's somewhat old-fashioned, right? But even though they're old-fashioned, they are true to the word Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. They are, they are true word-for-word -word renditions in the English language. But the majestic Qur'an chooses not to, not to do that. It says the kind and the caring for Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. 
So Ar-Rahman isn't necessarily the kind, and Ar-Rahim isn't necessarily the caring. It is those things. It is those things. They're not they're not misapprehensions of, of those words. They are. But um but you can see that the focus in the majestic Quran is on making it read the way that an everyday English speaker would would find it accessible, kind and caring. These are adjectives that we probably use every day, right? So that's a that's a priority of the translation of the majestic Quran. Whereas the whereas what we see from Pickthall's translation is that it's 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 um, it's indicative of the era that he's from, obviously in the use of the English language, but it's also supported by scholarship in there as well. He's also providing what what scholars of the Arabic language have explained certain words to mean. Whereas with Abdul Halim, he's 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 English, by the way. When I say that, because he's an Egyptian, he might be trying to put more in English than what needs to be. His English is just perfect, by the way. Like, there's no question about that. I've met him and I've been to his talks and stuff. There's, there's, there's no question that there could be a failing in his English. That, that's not, that's not it. It's that, it's that in in his producing of English, he 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 prioritizes making it, um, making it accessible as a priority to people who are from like a Judeo-Christian background, hence using God instead of Allah and things like that. Sahih International. Um, yeah, we can't, like at the, at the moment what we've read from it, it's not a lot different from um, from Mustafa Khattab's one, but we'll, we will kind of fleece out more of these differences as we go through them. Very nice. So what does um, Dr. Mustafa Khattab say? He says, who believe in the unseen? Okay, we're describing al-muttaqin. Okay, who just who believe in the unseen? They all say that. Who believe in the unseen? There's no discrepancy between any any four of them. They're all they they all agreed upon this. They established the prayer. Okay, Pickthall says an established worship. He chooses to translate the word salah as worship, um, but the other three choose to um, translate it as prayer. Two of them say establish the prayer. From I mean, establish the prayer is nice because it's from the verb aqama. Which means to establish aqimus salah and and yuqimu salah rather, they establish the prayer rather than to keep up. Um, so so yeah, again we see Abdul Halim rather than using a more abstract word in English like to to establish, he just says to keep up, right? He's using he's deliberately using language that is accessible to an average person from a Judeo-Christian background. Good, establish the prayer. What next? And spend out of what we, and donate from what we, and give from what we, and spend from what we. So so three of the translations have chose to use three different things, to give, to spend, and to donate. Interesting. I can't think why, or what those what those things indicate at the moment. Um, uh, good, okay. Um, and donate from yunfiqun, razaqonahum, from what we have provided. So... Um, yeah, it's interesting how all of them switch the word order around. Like the, the Arabic actually says, and from what we provide for them, or the rizq that we give them, they spend. Okay? But but all of the translations have switched it around. They've said, and they and they spend, or they donate, or they give from what we have provided for them. So they all kind of they all compromise the Arabic word order to favour an English expression of it. From what we have provided, provided. Um, so three of them say provided, and in a very pickthall fashion, he's used a slightly more flowery word, bestowed, bestowed upon them. Good. So what do we have? All of them say, and and who believe, or those who believe. Those, those Abdul Halim has chosen the word that's maybe most 
most direct to the word Alladina. Alladina yu'minuna. They've all translated yu'minuna as they believe, right? Bima in what? Um, unzila, what has been revealed, revealed, has been sent down, has been revealed. So again, yeah, Abdul Halim using kind of more simplified wording, right? Whereas like the word revealed is a bit more sophisticated than saying sent down. But Abdul Halim has, has chosen to use, um, you know, just more simplified languages for, for accessibility for the masses. Um, good. Um, o Prophet versus O Muhammad versus Muhammad and Muhammad. Um, none, none of them reference the Prophet. The, 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 all of all of the translations reference the prophet, but the actual text doesn't. So they've all they've all wanted to ensure that people are aware that this is directly to the prophet, where it says ilayka, what has been revealed upon you, and what was revealed before you, what was revealed before you, what was revealed before you, what was revealed before before the pickful says, which isn't a surprise. Um, yes, How do they describe the akhirah? Um, they all use the term hereafter for the akhirah, from from Pickthall all the way up to Abdul Halim. They all say they all say the hereafter. Yuqinun. Um, what about Yuqinun? Yeah, they are certain. They have firm faith. Uh, they are certain. They have sure faith. Yuqinun. It can be all of those, really. It can be all of those, and I, I don't think that a difference in the choice of wording in any of those is particularly telling of their translation style. But I think what we've gather, gathered so far is, is actually one thing: is that Sahih International that we've discovered here decides to use, use brackets, whereas Mustafa Khattab doesn't. Right? Sahih International puts little brackets for things that are not mentioned in the Quran, that are not mentioned in the Arabic, but things that they mean. Right. Whereas like a translation from like an Arabic teacher's perspective, whenever I bring a text into a lesson and the purpose is to learn the Arabic language, I, I won't do that. Like if the purpose is to learn the Arabic language, I'll be as true as possible to the word order and the individual meanings of individual words. Um, I'm getting a phone call. Okay, it's a Somali phone number. But, um, okay, I'll take that afterwards, inshallah. My apologies, guys. Um, if they call back, inshallah, I'll answer it because it might be an emergency. Okay, Jayyid. Okay, yeah, so Sahih International, we've, we've uncovered something unique about their style and the way they've chosen to translate the Qur'an. They want to give extra, extra information which they put in brackets, which is, which is nice and intellectually honest, isn't it? It's saying, look, it's in brackets because this thing isn't actually in the Arabic, right? Whereas um, in, in Mustafa Khattab's, there is like a footnote about the word O Prophet, um, but it's not in brackets. Okay, we'll continue. Do, do maybe another two ayat or something. It is they who, those are upon, such people, these depend upon guidance. They depend on guidance. Such people are following their Lord's guidance. Um, I don't think we learn too much. However, we do see consistency in what we've kind of diagnosed about each of their Qur'an um, translation choices. So, Sahih International... They use their brackets in order to give us extra information, which is not actually in the Arabic, but but is true to the meaning of it. Um, uh, good. And then um, the Abdul Halim again using language which is very accessible to people, um, to, to everyday people. Right? Such people are following their Lord's guidance, and it is the, it is they who will prosper. Okay. That's I think that's actually very true to due to the word order in the Arabic, where the word muflihun is at the end, which is to do with prospering. Um, you know, the Lord's guidance is in the middle, which is hudan rabbihim. Um, yeah. Good. Okay. We'll do, we'll do another one. 
إن الذين كفروا سواء عليهم أأنذرتهم أم لم تنذرهم لا يؤمنون. So, okay, very good. We'll look at Mustafa Khattab's first and see if we learn anything about his translation choices. As for those who persist in disbelief, it is the same whether you warn them or not, they will never believe. Okay, there are words in there that aren't in the Arabic, right? The word never, the word abada isn't in there, right? Or abadan isn't in there. Inna is, so inna what's what we see with Sahih Internationals is a very true kind of from an Arabic teacher's perspective. This gives me great joy to see indeed with inna because we teach our students. That's what it means. Inna kafaru, those who disbelieve. From an Arabic teacher's perspective, you'd want to see those who have disbelieved. Kafaru isn't a noun. It's not the disbelievers. It's not those disbelievers. It's those who have disbelieved, because it's obviously past tense as well. But um, those who disbelieve, that's pretty, that's pretty true to the Arabic. It's, um, you know, whilst the, the priority of the translators is giving meaning, some of them choose to be true to, to Arabic's language integrity as well. It is all the same to them. Okay, that's fine. Sawa'un alayhim. It's the same to them. Alayhim um, a'anzartahum. Uh, that you warn them. Or you do not warn them. They, um, they will not believe. Good. Yeah, they, they will not believe. We see in Sahih International. As for those who disbelieve, this is um, Abdul Halim's now. As for those who disbelieve, it makes no difference whether you warn them or not. Again, we see that Abdul Halim, he's, he's compromising direct integrity to the Arabic for something that, that better serves an everyday English speaker, right? Because this is such accessible English. As for those who disbelieve, it makes no difference whether you warn them or not, right? Can, compare that with um, compare that with pickthalls. As for the disbelievers, okay, it's basically the same thing. Whether thou warn them or thou warn them not, compare it with that. <laughs> compare Abdullah Halim's choice of saying it makes no difference whether you warn them or not. This is very like this is a very like standard modern English way of articulating that. Whereas I don't think I don't think any English people down the pub these days are saying whether thou warn them or thou warn them not. It is all one for them. They believe not. <laughs> you know, we we see something from Pickthall which is um, you know, I I think it's kind of um confusing really why we see like hundreds and hun like hundreds of translation pickthalls translations in our in our masajid i remember when i first embraced islam and i was involved somewhat in the dawah in, in cornwall like i remember getting like hundreds of pickthalls copies of the quran they would like line the shelves in our masjids i like, give to people and stuff i remember taking some to my college i was at college when i embraced islam and um, in the uk college means before university when you're like 16 17 18 years old i took like four of them and I gave them to people and stuff before really realizing this. Like I, I don't know how a seven, how how accessible that translation is to a seventeen-year-old in Cornwall, but um, but anyway, okay. So, but but Abdul Halim's is like in comparison to Pickthall's, it has a priority on making it accessible for everyday English speakers. Sahih International, I think, is perhaps a little bit more academic. Using the term "indeed," as I said, is a bit more true to "inna levina," indeed, those who believe. And then Mustafa Khattab's, as for those who believe who persist in their disbelief. Okay, so he's kind of... The, the term persisting isn't really... Um, isn't actually in the text. Indeed, those who have disbelieved, it is equal upon them that you warned them or that you didn't warn them, they don't believe. That's like a very true word-for-word -word rendition of it. Good. As for those who persist in disbelief, okay, so he's... 
he's he's representing that these particular people because this is talking about a particular group of people it's not like general about any disbelievers right so he's using scholarship which is authentic but outside of the quran um to add to to give more explanation on it good but doesn't put it in brackets sahih international maybe would have put it in brackets to tell you that it's something that's true but it's not directly from the text um, it is the same whether you warn them or not, okay? That's nice, accessible English, that's fine. They will never believe. So I think Sahih International and Dr. Mustafa Khattabs are, are deliberately both sl- slightly more academic, whereas Abdul Halim's could be accessed by um, anybody, even with no academic background at all. Okay, I think that's enough. I think that gives us an idea of just some of the some of the methodology and why some translators choose to render certain things from the Quran a certain way in English and others choose to articulate it in a different way. I'd like to maybe end this video just for our non-Muslim friends who are watching this, like I'd like to make it clear that there's when we provide when people provide English translations of the Quran, it's really only serving as a stepping stone for Muslims, right? Because like Muslims are all encouraged to learn the Arabic language. There, there's no there's no like legitimate Islamic studies program that would not have a serious amount of Arabic studies in it. We would never consider someone a scholar of Islam who doesn't have a, a very high level of the Arabic language. We, we could never ever take knowledge from a person who, who doesn't have a very, very high level of knowledge in, in the Arabic language. And it's not something that Muslims hide, right? Like, I don't know, sometimes I've, I've heard some accusations that there are translations of the Quran and the Quran is kept in English that so it's not acceptable to the masses. That just can't be true. Like, it can't be true because the pushing of people learning the Arabic language is, is so heavily emphasised in, in Islam and always has been throughout our history. Even though now we live in a world where maybe 15, 20% of the Muslims in the world are, are, are native Arabic speakers. A much, much higher percentage of that are Muslims from other countries who, who are learning Arabic. But as actual ethnic Arabs who would speak Arabic as their first language, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small a small percentage i'd say given the fact that so much of the scholarship is in arabic something else to bear in mind as well is that although much of the scholarship is in arabic that doesn't mean that much of the, that so much of the scholarship is by arabs literally like an immense amount of the scholarship that we have in islam is by non-arabs who have learned arabic and in fact learned arabic to levels similar to native arabic speakers people who have authored works in the arabic language that are revered by native arabic speakers who were non-arabs Right, and maybe a most a kind of um, a very very famous contemporary example would be Sheikh Al Albani, who is obviously Albanian. Sheikh Al Albani, um, who's a non-Arab. Good. Okay, I think that's enough for today. Any questions at all about translations of the Quran? You can put them in the comment section below, or about learning Arabic in general. This is just my personal kind of walkthrough of how I would deliver this to my students if they're to say to me, "What's the difference in these translations of the Quran? Why are there different translations of the Quran?" Just to give a little insight as to that, they're not different scriptures. They're all from the Quran. They're all only to serve as stepping stones into accessing the Quran in its original language. And um, yeah, and I think that's enough. For today thank you so much for watching if you enjoyed this video please like and share it and don't forget to subscribe to the channel as well on your way out i'll put another video there for you guys to watch if you want to stick around and hang out with me a little bit more on the channel and i'll see you guys in the next one assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu